In this episode of Desert Islands Horror, we have the Zachut speaking to Joanne Greenway, the Chief Executive of the London School of Jewish Studies. A trained lawyer with over a decade of experience in international arbitration and public international law, Jo has worked with the London Bet Din and with Get Refusal cases. She is currently studying in Oratora Stone's International Halakha Scholars four-year programme and is a graduate of the LSJS Susie Bradfield Educational Leadership Programme, the Chief Rabbis Mayam Programme and the JLC Game Changers Senior Leadership Programme and also has a degree in Modern Languages from the University of Cambridge and a postgraduate diploma in Law. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us today. It's a real zakhut to have you with us. So kind. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So it's Desert Island Torah. Three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Sure. So actually, my all three pieces are um, from the Tanakh, um, which was not on purpose, but they're all um, quite different and mean things to me um, personally, but in quite um, in quite different ways. Um, the first one is uh, timely um, because it's coming up soon and it's the, the book of Devarim. And the reason that I chose Devarim is because we're situated really after this long journey of the Israelites and, and where we've seen so many different aspects of Moshe's leadership. But I think what we see in Devarim that's really special is this complete transformation of um, Moshe becoming Moshe Rabbeinu, um, becoming our teacher. And it's something that I think about a lot because, well, particularly today, actually, because this evening we have our uh, big annual graduation for 50 teachers who are, who've been training to become the teachers of the future for our Jewish community here in the UK and, and wider. And I spend a lot of time really marvelling at what teachers do and what the craft of being a teacher involves. And, and I think that what we see in Devarim is an absolute masterclass in how to give over a message and how to really be an inspiring teacher. And it's not easy. I'm full of admiration for the work that teachers do, particularly in our schools here, where they're often very stretched and they have a lot of pressures. Um, and I think that we can learn a lot from 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 Moshe. And he and, and we can't take for granted what he does actually, because he he's 120 he could quite easily you know put his feet up and he's told that he can't enter the promised land but instead of becoming depressed and despairing he convenes this kind of one month long seminar standing on the steps of Moab overlooking this land that he won't enter and he teaches the people and it's partly Fazara going over things that they've learned before and but as well as that, it's history, it's learning where they've come from and going through the trials that they've had, the experience that they had at Harasinai and so many different aspects of the battles and the obstacles. And then as well as the history, it's that vision for the future. What is their mission? Why are they learning all these laws that he's giving over to, to them? So it's this really incredible blend of commandments and history and mission and vision that is so, so powerful. And he does it in his own voice. So he's no longer the transmitter of the Torah that he's 
giving over from Hashem as a prophet. He's actually um, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbeinu, our teacher. The, the, the fifth Pasuk in Devarim says that he, it says, It's just using this new word, which means to clarify, to explain. And and that's what he does. He he really takes it upon himself to try and really clearly elucidate what they need to do and why they need to do it to empower the people to take forward their inheritance, um, their inheritance really. So I find that completely fascinating. I think there's so much to take from that. I think that it unites the people. So giving the people this sense of history, the sense of where they've come from, why they're there, what they need to do, it empowers them, but it also gives them that, that unified sense of who they are as a people and that mission to be um, to, to testify to something that's beyond them. So this this bigger picture, which, you know, which really makes me think about what great Jewish studies teachers need to do, right? It's it's how to get the, their students to to buy into their place in the chain of history, their commandments, but also why they why they exist as a people and to find and to be inspired by the specialness of that mission. And there's a Pasuk that says um, that says that their observing the commandments will be proof of the wisdom um, so that other people hearing the laws will say this great nation is wise and discerning. So there's this mission of showing to the other nations in the world how how um, how great the commandments are, not just about remembering what they are and remembering to keep them. It's it's really feeling like we have this mission to show the world why we're doing what we're doing. And that we're part of something much bigger. So if I can, um, if I can uh, encourage the teachers that train through us to have a sense of that bigger picture, and it's not even me; it's my amazing team who train our teachers here every day. You now I think we will have done something great, and I really believe in the teachers that we have in our in our UK schools and in our community today, because I think there are some people who are so passionate and so dedicated. And have this sense of what I think we are really learning from from Moshe Rabbeinu, um, and and it's not just me because I work at LSJS. Like our tradition says that teachers are the people that we are supposed to think of as leaders. Even kings, we learn from um, from the Abarbanel, from Ibn Ezra, that appointing a king is is like a concession to human frailty. It's not something that we're supposed to. Um, have to do it's something that we can do and that we have to put limits on whereas actually teachers are the ones that we're supposed to put on a pedestal and we're supposed to think that um, that they're the ones that we have to revere they're the ones that the Rambam tells us will give entry to the world to come and and I think we need to really believe in that and I'm not sure we always do so I, I think that in our society, we're used to paying doctors and lawyers lots of money and, and not paying teachers what their, their dues are. But I think as a community, we really need to do better. We need to value our teachers. We need to really support them in doing their job and in fulfilling their mission. And that's what I think that Moshe is teaching us. And is also teaching us that teachers can empower the rest of the community to be part of that mission 
So at the end of the um, the end of the sefer, we're given the words from Shema to um, that that we have to um, speak of all these words to our children. We're told to write that each of us has to write a sefer Torah. So we all have this educational mission, and and that also resonates because for teachers to be successful, they need the whole community to be part of that mission, and particularly parents. Like we know in in schools that the teachers can only be so successful if the parents aren't on board and the parents aren't actually um, carrying through their message. So I think this message of being universally a community of educators, but really revering the people with the skills to teach well is, is tremendously important. Absolutely. It made me think of the verse at the end of the book, Morashaka Hilat Yaakov, and there's a discussion Mm -hmm. regarding distinction between a Yerusha and a Morasha. A Yerusha Mm -hmm. is used to describe the passing down of something like materially, maybe, or from a parent or a child, or something that comes easily, it's easily received. Whereas in contrast, a Morasha is something that needs to be worked for and needs an active involvement. And one may inherit something from their parents or grandparents, but for it to be a Morasha, it requires an active involvement. Anything within an occupational trajectory needs efficiency. And I think teachers are a great example of that. Um, And And a lot of the work that we've done actually over the last year looking at the sector of education really highlights that principle that children need to be active participants in their own learning. And I think particularly in this generation, um, children have a lot of autonomy. They're not used to listening and learning in that way. And so the more that we can involve our students to become active in, in creating their own learning paths, the more empowered they'll be. So yes, I totally hear you. Absolutely. So should we go into your second piece? Uh, so my second piece is um, is really Israel focused. I've just come back from an incredible week in Israel as part of the um, SAC Scholars Group with uh, a group of fabulous leaders from around the world who are all involved in transmitting the Torah of our teacher Rabbi Sachs and one of the themes that really kept on coming through from the various uh, scholars and and leaders that we were meeting with in Israel was the tribalism, if I can call it that, and the divisions that are really um, problematic today in Israeli society and giving rise to some of the divisions that we're seeing. Um, And what came up on several occasions, actually, is the need for a common building project the need for something to for people to coalesce around, to unite around. And it reminded me a lot of Bayakel and the Mishkan project, which is something that Rabbi Sachs actually discusses a lot in, in his book, which is which is called The Home We Build Together, which focuses on the, the fact that to build, we need to create. And there's a specific Pasuk in, in chapter in chapter 35 of it's actually in Shemot rather than Bayikra. So it's not in the in the book that talks about the, the Mishkan, it's in the book that talks about building a nation, I suppose. And the Pasuk says, So um, take um, for yourself a portion to Hashem, everyone whose heart moves him. So it, it talks about all these different things that people are bringing to and the Mishkan. And what we see is this unbelievable showing of enthusiasm where the whole community brings something different, 
each according to their own um their their own individuality their own drives their own skill sets and but they all contribute and they as well as with money and they end up with more than they can actually need and Moshe has to say to the people stop stop we've got enough but it's it's quite incredible that Moshe as a leader had managed to get the whole people to come together in a spirit of positivity to build something together and it wasn't a given because the the word used by Yakel and they they gathered is used in a contrasting way to the way it was previously used when the people came together in the context of the golden calf and what happened there they came together and they built something terribly um, destructive and problematic um, whereas here they come together with a um, with a positive aim and and that's really the beauty that we see in this in this gathering they want to be part of something they want to contribute something meaningful that will be bigger than the sum of their parts and i think that's what that's what we we learn in the talmud as well where it says call them not your children but your builders because the people have to be builders to create something positive I think that one, I was trying to think a lot when I was there in Israel and, and still really, really uh, struggling with the answer to the question. What is this common building project today? You know, how do we even start to answer that question when Israeli society is so um, is so split when we have the Haredi community that very often doesn't speak to modern Orthodox community, let alone Chiloni community. And, you know, even the word community there is, is a gross oversimplification and then what to do with the diaspora which is not uh, which is so separate from Israel um, when it comes to um, when when it comes to really being involved in matters relating to the heart of the future of the state and that's you know when we don't vote what place can we have but those questions really remain unanswered when people feel very connected but don't feel that they are able to have a stake so how do we have a common building project and the only answer that I think has spoken to me in a meaningful way so far is the answer that Micha Goodman gives in his book, The Wandering Jew. And what he advocates for is intergenerational dialogue and the conversation around um, Jewish heritage and around our Torah texts as being what unites us, whether we're religious or whether we're not religious, however we interpret those texts, the text is what we can come together to agree on, to disagree on, but to engage with. And in a way, that's what we try and do at LSJS as well with the learning that we provide. It's giving people access to texts, but allowing them to challenge them and to grapple with them and to ask questions. And that way, nobody is excluded from this conversation and from being part of Am Yisrael. So he, what Micha Goodman says is that the way Jews become connected to Judaism is by joining the Jewish conversation. Even those who disagree with the content of that tradition can still be part of the tradition because a disagreement with previous generations is still a conversation with them. And I think we underestimate how important that is and how we need to really make people feel that in reality. You know, it's easier said than done when people just don't, you know, pe people live such separate lives within such a tiny country. Um, and, you know, and even more so across the Jewish world, how do we make that a reality 
how do we bring people together um you know for uh, for a bigger purpose um there's actually a school in in um there's actually a school in england called jacos which is a pluralist school um which is quite unique and interesting but they built a whole Jewish studies curriculum around the idea of conversation because they have a population of quite different students but they value that difference and they they the, the curriculum is really about grappling with texts and how to disagree in a respectful way so I think there's something that we can learn from that. Absolutely um, I think also we are part of a covenant with Hashem and part of mm -hmm. that covenant is obviously that we receive the Torah. So I think there is that unique, you know, idea of Torah text that kind of brings us together. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that's it. But what that Torah means can mean so many things to different people and making your making it your own and empowering people in, to interpret it, um, you know, as well as engaging with the chains of tradition and the centuries of Drash and, and, and Chazal engaging with that and bringing your own layers of meaning to that in a constructive and positive way, I think is really what we need to aspire to. Absolutely. So should we go into your third piece? Yes, my third piece. My third piece is um, a game from Devarim. It's from the Parsha of Kitetze. But rather than the whole Sefer, it's a very specific Pasuk. And the Pasuk reads like this. It says, when a man takes a woman and possesses her, um, if he finds something not pleasing in his eyes, something that's some kind of nakedness, whatever that means, he writes a bill of divorce, he puts it in her hands and he sends her away from his house. So I've chosen the Pasuk, which is, the source of all our halachot around um, divorce, around getting. And I did so knowing that this is a podcast where we're choosing our favorite parts of Torah and our favorite Torah texts. Because very purposefully, whilst this is not my favorite pasuk, it's one that I teach again and again. And I believe in continuing to teach because it's so crucial that we grapple with it you know, in the way that we were talking about in relation to the last section, we need to be in dialogue with the Torah and particularly where there are things that we find challenging. And for me, this is the Pasuk that I find most challenging. And I say that having been involved, working, actually working for four years, dealing with complex get cases and not having all the answers, but really believing that it's something we need to continue to strive to to um to fix you know in the world and and what we get from this pasuk is not only the physical get process where a man hands over a, a bill of divorce to his wife which is reenacted actually in the bet din when when a couple get divorced but all the complexity that that creates around um what is a kosher solution to um a forced get you know how do you um, deal with a get where a man is not willing to um, to give a get because we learn from here that it has to be given willingly so it has to be um, it's unilateral the man has to give over the get and that has to be according to um, according to the Gemara and the, the all, all of the interpretations of this Pasuk it has to be done 
without force. So without what we call fear, um, without creating a coerced get, which would then undermine the validity of that get. So really my heart breaks over the tragic cases that that arise as a result of the halakha in this area and moreover the misuse of the halakha in this area because we have so many cases where um, a man doesn't want to give a get when a wife does want to be divorced. So what do you do? And actually it's not until fairly recently that it became commonplace for women to be in the situation where she would want to leave a marriage against the will of her husband because for many years, um, certainly the times of the Gemara, the Gemara's written, women didn't have financial independence. It was assumed, the presumption was that it would be better for a woman to stay married than to be alone. And, and women tended to want to stay together. But now we really need a new paradigm because the situation is very different. We're now, we now ne- we now need to be able to provide for a situation where um, very often a woman might want to leave. I've, I dealt with cases where a woman had been civilly divorced from her husband for over 20 years and the husband was saying, no, she's still my wife, um, even though they never saw each other, never spoke to each other. And it just, it, it's just um, abusive. So, as I said, I don't love this text, but I feel very connected to this text because it challenges me very deeply. And I believe that we need to continue teaching it to remain connected to it, to be in dialogue with it, to be angry with it, and that that's okay. And that we can ask Hashem, you know, why? Uh, and, and in every generation, there'll be different texts within our Torah that challenge us and different interpretations that will arise. And if we don't continue to engage in a meaningful way with our texts, then we don't have a hope of finding new approaches I think that my Judaism is very much about taking responsibility. And that's a message that I think I get from Rabbi Sachs's teachings more than anybody's that, you know, where what we can do in the world meets what needs to be done. That's, that's what one needs to do and, and where one thinks one can contribute to fixing things in the world. So as I said, I think this leads to an imperative to look for responses that are halachically permissible. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, Jewish status is something that needs to be internationally recognized. And I think there's a built-in tendency to be uh, stringent in this area uh, for good reason. But by the same token, you know, we have people in real pain and that's not okay. Um, And I think there can also be a tendency to say, you know, there's nothing we can do, we've done all we can, but we need to continue to struggle and to find ways through. Um, so, as I said, it can be an inconvenient topic, but um, we have to be in conversation with our texts. Absolutely. Actually, yeah. When we were in Israel, I had the privilege of meeting one of the, the Dole Hador um, in Jerusalem. And um, as I often try to, I put to him the question of, of how we're dealing with get refusal and how he sees us dealing with get refusal in the coming generation. Not because I expected him to have an answer, but because I think that it's something that we need to keep on the agenda as a real priority issue for our community worldwide. 
and for Argodolim to be in conversation about. Absolutely. Important topic. And I think it's always important to have those challenging texts with us um, to think about all issues in society. Um, and thank you for sharing. Thank you. I know that wasn't a halafashir. I could have gone on for hours, but uh, it's an important one to me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on today. It's been a real zakat to learn with you. Thank you so much, Darcy. I really appreciate the, the uh, opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.